0: but just want to echo that again. We're so thankful for them. Ephesians 6:18 in your Bibles, Ephesians 6 verse number 18 will be our main text, along with Colossians 4:2. Uh, those will be our main text. We'll be looking at some others as well. Um, Tom was a friend of mine. I think he would have to laugh with me if I say I'm going to avoid my recliner when I get home tonight. Um, he was a special guy and he will be missed him and his ministry to me and to our family over the years. But uh, Ephesians 6.18 is where we're going to be and we're going to talk about this theme of praying with power. Praying with power. And so uh, as we consider that uh, tonight, I uh, just want to ask you some questions as we begin. Uh, number one, what is your view of prayer tonight? If someone was to come up and ask you. Uh, what is prayer, or what is your view of it, and how how is it a priority in your life? Uh, how would you respond to their questions? Um, perhaps an unbeliever might ask this question: hey, What what is this prayer thing that you guys do? Uh, how how would you respond uh, to that? And then also, is prayer a priority then uh, in your life? Is it is it evident that that you're a praying believer, a praying Christian? That's who we're we're really focusing on believers tonight. We'll we'll talk about. Uh, how to become one towards the end tonight. But uh, if, if someone would to ask or to look at your life, maybe a uh, fly on the wall or something, how, how would prayer uh, stand out in your life? And then ca- can you show that as a priority? So tonight I want to challenge ourselves and myself included to think of prayer uh, as something very priceless, very special. Um, something that is like a, a priceless diamond, if you will something that is uh, with incredible value and incredible worth. I'd like you to think of prayer as this precious jewel that we can hold in our hands and we can turn it, it's been finely cut, like a finely cut diamond, and we can turn it and look at the many facets of prayer. And of course, in our time tonight, we won't be able to uh, completely rotate that gem around and see every facet of prayer, but we're going to look at at least six of those from our text tonight. And we'll be looking at them as a jeweler might look at a, a diamond through a lens. We'll be using Ephesians 6.18 and Colossians 4.2 as our lens, our, our scope, if you will, to look at this precious jewel of prayer, the precious diamond of prayer. Examine these six elements or these six facets of effective prayer. Let's look at our text and pray and then uh, move forward with, with these thoughts on prayer. So Ephesians 6.18 says this. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And then Colossians 4.2 says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together as we open his word tonight. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, where would we be without without it? And and the fact that you've given us this amazing gift of prayer. And how often we set it aside and and we uh, don't prioritize it in our lives. Lord, please challenge us through your word tonight to reprioritize prayer into our lives. Help us to see the preciousness and the incredible value and even the power of prayer prayer and I pray that as we open your word together and examine these things that you would help us to to see them please unlock the truth for us please uh, help our hearts to be changed And we pray this in Jesus name amen so the question that often gets asked and maybe you've been asked this question or you have asked it of of others or of yourself what is prayer what is it exactly tonight we're going to attempt To begin to define prayer, we certainly won't be able to uh, completely understand every facet of it. But the the thing that I see often is there's this standardized answer that's given most of the time, and maybe you're thinking it right now, and that is the simple answer of prayer is talking to God. And that's a good answer. It's a true answer, isn't it? Uh, And if you think about that answer, it actually holds a lot of power in it because if you consider the fact that we as created beings can address our creator at at our whim, uh, we can initiate this conversation, we can just simply speak like I just did, like Justin did at the beginning of the service, um, and talk to God, and instantly the creator of the universe is leaning in and focused and listening to us. That is a powerful thought to think about. But prayer is really so much more than that. And I think there's a danger if we stop at this definition. If we just stop here and don't go any further, I think there's some uh, potential dangers that in an effort to explain prayer, um, just stopping with this phrase or this definition, we might be explaining prayer away. Uh, There's a potential danger that, in an effort to understand it so uh, as to understand it in our minds that we end up watering down what prayer truly is, and we end up misunderstanding it. I think there's a danger in an effort to simplify prayer uh, so that it's not so intimidating. For some reason, we think it's going to be intimidating for people, and maybe it is, but we want to often water that down, and, and sometimes we oversimplify something that is much more rich and full and and powerful than we want to give a credit for and so uh prayer is actually not something that's just a simple one-way conversation uh prayer according to scripture uh is actually a foundational part of the christian life or at least it should be and so tonight we're going to look at six elements of prayer out of ephesians six eighteen and colossians 4 2 uh, they're parallel passages so we're going to see them in tandem and see what the lord has So first of all, number one, uh, prayer should be steady, should be steady prayer. We see this in the first part of Ephesians 6.18. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Notice the steadiness, the repetitiveness of the language and the words that God is using here. Um, Certainly, there is a scheduled time that we all need to have with God in quiet, in private, in very personal with us. Jesus said, go into your closet and pray. But prayer is so much more than just a scheduled event in the Christian life. It is a way of life. It is a continual thing, a continual, ongoing, relationship-building, life-giving, spiritual growth-making conversation. Jesus spoke a parable in Luke 18, and the, gives us the reason he spoke the parable. We'll touch on it later uh, tonight, but he spoke this parable that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So this continual praying, praying always and all prayer and supplication, it, it's connected to our courage somehow. And so we gain courage from constantly praying. In Acts 6.4, the apostles uh set aside some men to be deacons in that first first century church. And the reason for that was so that the apostles could give themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They go hand in hand. Prayer was their priority. And they wanted time to make sure they had enough time to pray. And so they delegated certain responsibilities out. And, of course, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 gives us this command, pray without ceasing. Pray without stopping. And so so how do we pray always? I'd like to suggest that for many of us, we need to make a shift in our prayer life. We must begin to make prayer the main thing, the main part of whatever it is we're doing, instead of a secondary or something off to the side. I love what uh, Warren Wiersbe said about this kind of praying life. He said it means to make prayer as natural to us as our regular breathing. Now breathing is different because we don't have to tell ourselves when to breathe, thankfully. Um, But it just happens automatically. And prayer, he's saying prayer in, in essence, and really I think the scripture is commanding that prayer should be this constant, a constant connection with God, with the throne of grace. So, When you're sitting down, pray. When you're standing up, pray. When you're walking, pray. When you're driving, pray. When you're laughing, pray. When you're weeping, pray. When you're working, pray. And when you're playing, pray. When you're very confident in what you're doing, pray. When you're insecure and don't know what to do, pray. When you're filled with faith, pray. And when you're lacking faith, pray. Pray, 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 pray. That's the command. There is never a time when you should not or could not pray. There doesn't exist, That doesn't exist in our lives. But sadly, many Christians relegate prayer to mealtimes or to a last resort or to something that we do uh, later or at a certain time of day or in a certain situation. But God is calling us into fellowship with him and to a prayer life that is much deeper and more rich and more powerful than those things. Prayer is not a substitute for all the other things we do in life. We still have a life to lead, don't we? We still have to get up and go to work, or we have responsibilities in the home. We have responsibilities uh, at church and many areas. Uh, And we can't stop doing all of those things just to go off and pray. As much as maybe sometimes we need to, we can't always do that. And so God is saying, don't stop what you're doing, but in everything that you do while you're doing it, Pray. Prayer should undergird and support all these other efforts. Everything we do should be undergirded with prayer. It should be the foundation of each and every life choice. It should, it should intertwine itself like roots around the soil of our heart so that in every instance and in every essence, prayer is being breathed out by us in every moment. We must not marginalize prayer, but instead prayer must become centralized in our life. God is calling us to a deeper relationship, a more powerful understanding of prayer. Notice it says praying always with all prayer and supplication. There's a thoroughness, there's an intensity uh, in this verse. Uh, In fact, um, the word praying here, at the beginning of the verse, is the verb form of the word prayer in the middle of the verse. It's the same same word, just the verb and the noun form. The word supplication there is a specific type of prayer. We're going to talk about that in detail uh, in just a little bit here. It's the word always that must stand out always with all prayer. This constant, unceasing connection, this continual conversation with our Creator. That's what we're being called to. So our prayers must be steady. Number two, our prayers must be spirit-led. If our prayers are going to be effective, they must be steady, but they also must be led by the Holy Spirit. We see this in the next part of the verse, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Notice the prepositional phrase, in the Spirit. In the Spirit. It points to prayers that are prayed in the power of and under the control of the Holy Spirit. And every prayer is to be prayed in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is not some kind of prayer upgrade where I'm just going to pray out of the Spirit normally, but when life gets really difficult or when there's a certain situation, well, now I better start praying in the Spirit. Uh, It's it's actually every prayer God calls us to pray uh, in the Spirit. Uh, Jude verse 20 gives us the same command, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Letting the Spirit guide and direct our prayers. See, we must set aside our own agenda and allow the Spirit to move in and move in us and direct our prayers. In fact, without the Holy Spirit's intervention, we would not be able to pray in the will of God in the way that we should. Uh, Romans 8, 26 and 27 says that the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Man, we are weak people. We have to come to grips with with that reality. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. I used to see this as, well, there's certain times when I don't know what to pray. I would argue from this text, we never really know what to pray. There are certain things in God's word, other salvation, certain clear commands and things, but so much of life is not in black and white in the Bible. We have to pull the principles out and apply them in certain ways, and use wisdom to understand how we're supposed to respond and the decisions that we need to make. And he's saying that the Spirit is going to help us pray for as we ought. The Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Why can't they be uttered? It's because we don't know really what to say. Because we, we we can't see it from God's point of view. And so the Spirit comes in and helps and intercedes, and I'm so thankful. We also have the Son interceding. So God the Father is sitting there and both God the Son and God the Spirit are there interceding for us on our behalf. What a powerful thing. He who searches the hearts, the Father knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to what? The will of God. So it's not if or when we don't know what we should pray. It's that we we don't and we must allow the Spirit to control us. Jesus commanded that we should not use vain repetitions in our prayers as the heathen do. They think they'll be heard from the many words. The spirit-led prayer is not something we can just rattle off mindlessly. It must be from the heart. It doesn't mean we can't write our prayers out. I find great joy in prayer journaling and, and, and writing these things out to the Lord, but it, 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 must, it must not be a repet, repetitive chant that we just liturgically do and then we're done and then we say, well, I prayed now. It must be from the Spirit under his control. I'd like to address an elephant in the room with prayer. I think this, and I think this is a reason why a lot of Christians don't pray as often as they should and it's the uncomfortable problem that sometimes prayer is boring. And it's not boring because of who we're talking to, and it's not boring in the sense that we're, when we're praying right, but it's boring because of how we look at it and how we understand it. Sometimes we end up sitting down to pray, and we end up praying the same things about the same things over and over again, and we get in these ruts, if you will. We get in these kind of repetitive natures in our prayers. And there's not, it's not wrong to be repetitive. It's not wrong to pray and ask God for the same thing over and over again, that's not what I mean, but in the sense that we just end up repeating ourselves without thinking about it. I want to offer a biblical solution to this, and that is to pray scripture. Pray the Bible back to God. And I know some of you um, practice this, and I I would testify that um, this practice of praying scripture has transformed my prayer life. When I consider praying God's words back to him. And so I want to give you an example of that. Um, the next time you pray, grab, grab your Bible and, and go to the Psalms. It's a great place to start. And, and find a Psalm that, that resonates with you. I want to give you the example of mine from about a week ago. I was in Psalm 23. And verse number one says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm just going to stop right there, the opening phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. And so we can continue to pray about all the same things that we pray about, but we, we allow Scripture to become the lens, the filter for our prayers. And this is a practice. It's a discipline, and it, it, takes, it takes time to learn. But this is what I end, some of what I ended up praying. I, based on Psalm 23.1, Lord, thank you for being my shepherd. Please shepherd me as I shepherd my family. Please lead us, lead the steel family as your sheep. Lord, shepherd my life choices so that they honor you, and please then be with our under-shepherds at church as they shepherd the flock here. And you can keep right on going with this, as long as you have words and you have a connection, and then you go to the next part of the verse, I shall not want... <coughs> And you can thank God for all the things that, you, that he's blessed you with. And you can pray for the things that you need. And you allow yourself to walk through the Psalms and allow those Psalms, which are really prayers written out to God, to direct and guide our prayers. It's just this one small example of praying scripture. The Psalms are great. There's a lot of great um, prayers in the Pauline epistles. There's just really every book of the Bible can be used. So I want to encourage you to pray. And, and, and by the way, um, who inspired the Bible? Which person of the Trinity specifically? The Holy Spirit. So we're commanded to pray in the Spirit, and I can't think of much of a better way than, of praying in the Spirit than to use the words he inspired back to pray back to God. We can be guaranteed of praying in the Spirit. So our prayers must be Spirit-led. Number three, our prayers must be spiritually alert, spiritually alert look at the next part of Ephesians 6 18 it says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end now this being watchful could mean you know we're to pray and then watch for God to answer and be expectant in that in faith and and that is true but I think the context of Ephesians 6 tells us and it indicates a different type of watching if we go back up in context to verse 14 through 17, we have what we refer to as the armor of God. And he talks about the, the waist, the, the the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we have this, this armor, Paul using the Roman armor as, as an example, a word picture of These important spiritual truths that need to be a part of every believer's life. And so we have this this theme of a battle. We have spiritual warfare right in front of us all the time. We don't always see it, but it's happening. So we need our armor on because we're in a battle. We're in a war. And we forget about that so often. So Paul goes through all these these pieces of armor and says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then he gets into verse 18. Praying always. See, the prayer is the power that fuels the armor. It's, It's inseparable we can't just look at the armor on its own. We must connect the power of prayer to that armor. And so we must be then spiritually alert. And so this, this phrase of being watchful in the context here uh, seems to indicate that we are to be on guard against the devil's attacks. We need to pray in a defensive stance. Just as the armor is defensive, stand there Be unmovable. Be fixed in your position. And be watching. Being watchful. And so our prayers need to become defensive. It says says being watchful to this end. Well, what end? I I think it points back to the armor in light of the spiritual battle raging around us. We see this command to watch and pray and pray and watch throughout scripture. Uh, Nehemiah is leading a massive wall-building project at Jerusalem. The Jews have come back out of captivity, and they're rebuilding the temple, and they're rebuilding the walls, and Nehemiah is in charge of the wall project. And he goes through a lot of trials in order to get that wall built. If you've, if you've ever read through there, understand it was very difficult. It was not an easy task. And he was, they were surrounded by enemies, just like Israel is surrounded by enemies today. Notice in Nehemiah 4.7, it says, Now what happened when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites, all the enemies, they heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. These guys did not want to see Jerusalem being rebuilt. They did not want to see the walls protecting it. And notice what they do. All of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. That is a play right out of the devil's handbook. Attack and create confusion. Attack and create confusion. This is exactly what Satan is doing to all of us constantly. Constantly attacking and trying to create confusion. It says they were very angry. You think Satan is very angry? I can guarantee you he is. A deep seated hatred for anyone that claims Christ. I love what Nehemiah does verse number 9, nevertheless, I love his stance. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. We made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So they prayed, and then they watched. They were watchful. They were on the defense, watching for the attack. But, but praying and then watching and then praying and then watching. And what do you think Nehemiah and, and his companions were praying about? I can guarantee you they were praying about uh, Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites. They were praying for protection because they were alert and aware that the enemy was right outside the gates. We need this kind of alertness in our prayers to be awake and alert and watching. Jesus also commanded this his disciples there in the garden. Remember, he took them aside. He said, I'm going to go pray, but I want you, he says, he commanded his disciples to watch and pray. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. You're going to be under attack. The devil's coming for you. Watch and pray and pray and watch and watch and pray. And it's cyclical. The spirit is willing but the flesh is so weak. So our prayers must be spiritually alert. Number four, our prayers must be spiritually persistent. We need to be persistent in our prayer. Next part of Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance. With all perseverance. Uh, This word appears only here in the New Testament. It carries the idea of praying with endurance, continuing on with endurance in our prayer. And I think it's so important that this is here. This command needs to be here. Well, of course it is. I mean, it's God's word, but there's a purpose with this. Because I think all of us would probably agree if someone asked, hey, is it, is it a good idea to pray? I think we'd all say, well, yeah, it's a good idea to pray. But the truth is, it doesn't always feel good to pray. There's not always a great emotional, wonderful emotions attached to prayer. And I don't know if you've been there through a deep trial or through a disappointment, but I have. And there has been times where I'm like, I don't even, I don't want to talk to the Lord right now. I don't feel like praying about this situation. Maybe a deep hurt, maybe an incredible trial or difficulty. And so it doesn't always feel good to be, to be praying and we need to be honest about that because Paul is. Why else did he put this command to pray with endurance if we didn't really need endurance to pray? The, the command is in there for a reason. Paul anticipates our lack of endurance and is sure to use language that counters that. Jesus also understood this in so Luke eleven nine. 9. He says, so I say to you, ask It will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask, seek, and knock are all imperative verbs in the present tense, meaning that they are meant to be understood as a continuous action, giving no thought to the completion of the action. It's a constant asking, a constant seeking, a constant knocking over and over and over again. We mentioned Luke 18 before. And we're going to look at that um, just briefly. Uh, time won't allow us to go through the whole thing. But basically, Jesus is giving this parable, and maybe you know it. It's the parable of the unjust judge. Do you remember that? So there's this unjust judge. He doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about the law. He's living for himself. And here comes this poor widow, and she has, she's being taken advantage of by, by someone else. And so she goes to the judge to ask him to make a ruling to protect her, and he won't do it. He says, get out of here. I don't care about you and your issues. Um, I'm not going to do anything. But the woman doesn't give up. She continues to come back to the judge and ask for help. This unjust judge. Constantly. And finally, he gives in and says, man... Uh, this this woman, this widow is wearing me out. The the actual language is that she's going to give me a black eye. She's going to ruin my reputation, so I better go ahead and help her. And we have to understand that parable is not a comparison to us and God. It is a contrast. It is not saying how God is like the judge and we're like the widow. No. It is contrasting how opposite God is from that judge and how different we are from that widow positionally see that widow had to go before a court of law we go to the throne of grace that widow was in poverty we come to God with the riches of Christ positionally pure before him in Christ and so there's a huge contrast and down in verse number six Jesus says hear what the unjust judge said and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that, when he, that he will avenge them speedily. There's an interesting contrast there that he bears long, but he will avenge them speedily. And so we, we come into prayer sometimes with our own contradiction in our mind because we've been praying about it, but there's a delay. Have you ever experienced prayer that led to delay or had a delay answered prayer? I'm pretty sure we all have. How do we explain that in light of who God is? Because if he is truly the God of love and mercy and grace, why isn't he answering the prayer? Why is the delay happening? We need to understand that God's delays are for our benefit. Again, another Wearsby quote, He says, remember that God's delays are not delays of inactivity, but of preparation. And here's what I want to grasp here that God is always answering prayer. Yeah, but I prayed for this thing and it hasn't happened yet. You're not seeing what He's doing, you're not seeing what He's doing behind the scenes spiritually. See, He wants to give you and bless you because he is a good father, but he knows for some reason you're not ready to receive that, and so he's preparing you for his answer. God is always answering prayer. Constantly. Our delays are not because he's inactive. God is never inactive. He's constantly working and moving in our hearts. So we we pray and we say, well, now I'm waiting for God to answer. Well, what you mean is you're waiting for the visible sign of God's answer, but what you need to understand is God is working behind the scenes, out of sight, to prepare you for that answer, whatever it might be. So our prayers must be spiritually persistent. Number five, our prayers must be supplicant. Supplicant prayers. We see that in the next part of Ephesians 6.18. So praying always with all prayer, supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, and supplication for all the saints. Supplication is an important facet of prayer. It's really a divine entreaty to God on behalf of someone else. It's going before the throne of grace and bringing someone along with you and saying, Father, Father, I have this, this person has this need. They have a struggle. They're going through a deep trial. I'm bringing them before the throne with me. On their behalf, I'm speaking to you, Lord, and I'm asking you to, to help this person. I want to go to um, Colossians 4, because we're going to go there in a minute anyways, and I want to I introduce you to a man that has become a hero to me in the, in the area of prayer a man by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras was from the city of Colossae, and he had visited Paul and spent time with him. And Paul, in Ephesians 4.12, writes back to Colossae to talk to them about their friend Epaphras. Notice what he says about him. Epaphras, who is one of you at Colossae, a bondservant of Christ. This guy was sold out for Jesus. He greets you. He sends his greetings. Notice, this is what I love about Epaphras. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. This is one of the greatest, clearest examples of supplication that I have found. You see, Epiphras' supplication for the Colossian church came at a cost to him. Do you see the language there? Always. There's that always again. He got that right. (coughs) Laboring. Fervently. Epiphras was tiring himself out by praying for the saints. He was literally praying to the point of exhaustion on behalf of the saints at Colossae. This cost him something. This kind of prayer, this kind of supplication for another person comes at a cost when we pour ourselves out at the throne on behalf of a fellow believer. You think about, in order for Paul to write this about Epaphras, you have to understand that this kind of praying takes time. In order to pray like Epaphras, he had to realign his priorities. He had to reschedule his life around prayer. Prayer for him became the main thing. It became the focus. He had to give up something else in order to pray like this to the point of exhaustion for these people to make the time necessary for his prayers to be the physical and spiritual exertion that Paul says they are in this verse. It's incredibly convicting. I want to pray like Epaphras. I want to wear myself out, exhaust myself in prayer. Asking myself, when's the last time I wore myself out in prayer? Crying out to God, beseeching Him, pouring out all His emotions and all His strength and being real with God. Sometimes we're so timid and quiet and kind of flowing along in our prayers, and that's okay, but Epiphras, man, he laid it all out on the table. He poured himself into his prayers. Paul goes on in verse 13. I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you. Do you have great zeal for your fellow believers so that your prayer life becomes exhausting? His motivation was the zeal. Those who are in Laodicea, Hierapolis, man, his prayer list was pretty long. No wonder he was tired out by the end. His motivation, though, was his zeal. He was so zealous for his fellow believers' spiritual state. Remember, that's his prayer, that they may stand perfect and complete. He was so zealous, he was driven to pray for them. He had a driving force that forced him on his knees to cry out to the Lord to the point of exhaustion. When is the last time we prayed like Epaphras? Our prayers must be supplicant. Number 6, number 7, sorry, I don't know, that might, something happened with my outline there. It's supposed to be number 6. Satisfied prayer. So we're in Colossians, let's go back up to verse number 2, Colossians four two. It says this, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving that's what we we'll want to focus on so we've already covered continue earnestly in the parallel passage Ephesians 6.18 and being vigilant uh, continue earnestly that's spiritually persistent prayer we've talked about that already and being vigilant is that watch and pray that's spiritually alert prayer so we've talked about that but now we come to this final element this final facet that we'll look at tonight on the diamond the precious jewel of prayer and that is thanksgiving thanksgiving Our prayers are often filled with requests, and rightly so. Who better to bring requests to than God, right? The all-powerful, the all-knowing God that loves us more than we can fully comprehend. And so certainly our prayers need to have our requests. We need to bring them before the throne and leave them there. What about when we find ourselves lacking and the answer, I mean, he, we talked about delays, what about when it's the delayed answer? Can we still be thankful? Or are we only thankful when God answers the prayer the way we asked him to answer it? need to understand that this verse in Colossians 4.2 gives no indication of the prayer being answered. It doesn't say, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it, get what you ask for, and then be thankful. It's all connected. It's The earnestness and the vigilance and the thanksgiving are all done at the same time and in the same place. So even when we find ourselves lacking some need or going through a trial, there's always things to be thankful for. Paul's made thankfulness a sub-theme in the book of Colossians. Back in verse one, I'm sorry, chapter one, verse three, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians two seven, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Chapter 3, verse 17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. And we come to our text here, in Colossians 4.2, continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. You see, when we're thankful, what we're really doing is we're acknowledging the source of the blessing. So, when a child gets up from the meal and turns to his mom or his dad, whoever made the meal and says to her, thank you mom, thanks for supper, thanks for lunch, whatever. He is acknowledging the source of the meal. He's acknowledging and recognizing that mom in this case was the one who did the work of making the meal, preparing the food, cooking it, baking it, microwaving it, toasting it, boiling it, grilling it, whatever it was. Mom, thank you. You were the one that prepared you were the one that planned it and prepared it and presented it to us. And so I'm acknowledging that mom is the source of the blessing. I'm acknowledging the source in my thankfulness is what this child is saying. Really what he's, he's saying is I'm really glad I can enjoy my, my favorite part, which is eating it. And he's saying without you, mom, I wouldn't be able to enjoy this meal. I'd still be hungry. In other words, I'm thankful because I'm dependent on you. It might be better for him to thank mom at the beginning of the meal before he's enjoyed it. It's the same with our thankfulness to God. We're acknowledging the source of our blessings. We're acknowledging that without God's intervention, we would not be enjoying the things he has given to us or will give to us. We're acknowledging that we are dependent on him in our thankfulness. Sometimes I think we have this very narrow view of thanksgiving. Well, thank God after He's granted us our wish. I don't think that's praying with Thanksgiving. As I said earlier, I think this verse indicates that the praying, the vigilance, and the thanksgiving are all supposed to happen simultaneously. That's part of praying in the Spirit is praying the will of God. We must not separate our prayers from our thanksgiving, they go together. Yeah, but I didn't get the answer yet. But you can still be thankful. Our prayers must be satisfied. Question. What if all you had was Christ? Richard spoke on Job this morning. God allowed Satan to take almost everything away from him. As New Testament believers, though, if that were to happen, and God didn't grant you the prayers that you're asking, Are you, and I'm asking myself this too, are we satisfied with Christ alone? Are we satisfied with Christ? If we ever think that we've run out of things to be thankful for, just look to the cross. Look to Christ, what He's done. So, as we conclude, what is prayer? Well, it's to be steady, constant, continual conversation, it's to be spirit led. Let the Spirit tell you how to pray and what to pray for. Use the Word of God as a guide. It's to be spiritually alert, ready, watching for the enemy and praying about his attack impending, spiritually persistent. You probably won't feel like praying every single day this week. Pray anyway. Pray especially then. It must be supplicant. We must be willing to exhaust ourselves on behalf of our brothers and sisters. And it must be satisfied. It must be satisfied. The gospel message is as simple as Acts 16.31. Remember that verse? believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you and your household. Everyone that believes will be saved. Salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. I don't know the spiritual condition of everyone here tonight or those that might be watching, but perhaps you have been trying to be right before God with something other than Christ, or maybe it's been that you've been trying to be right with God, with Christ plus something. Well, I'm going to have my faith plus my works, or, or what is it? We just said that believers should be satisfied with Christ alone and all of our thankfulness goes to him no matter what the circumstances are. But if you're an unbeliever, you also must be, be satisfied with Christ alone as your savior. You must come to God through him. Jesus said that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. That's really what he's saying here. There's an exclusivity with the gospel. It's only through Christ. The gospel is exclusive. If you've not yet placed your faith in Christ alone, you are not going to be granted the gift of eternal life. You'll suffer the consequences of your sin, eternal death and torment and hell. We have to understand that so many people are trying to do this false gospel where it's, just me or me plus Jesus or my works plus him. But we need to understand that God, just as we are to be satisfied in Christ, God, the Father, is already fully satisfied in Christ. What Christ did on the cross, God is satisfied with. He's satisfied with Christ alone. And if God is satisfied with what Christ did on the cross, and God is satisfied in Christ alone, so must every person be in order to be righteous before God. You see, Jesus already did all the good works there were to do. And none of us can come close to perfection. God's standard for eternal life is perfection. So even on our best day, we fall far short short of that. But Christ didn't. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Died as a sacrificial lamb, was buried and rose again, conquering death and hell and sin for us. And God was fully satisfied in that act. And so why would we attempt to add anything to that? We simply can't. We cannot earn it. We cannot buy it. Eternal life is a gift. We receive it by faith. If you've not yet placed your faith in Christ alone, I would implore you to do that tonight before you leave. Let's, let's pray as we, as we conclude. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Father, we're so thankful for your word and we're so thankful for prayer. Lord, what a precious jewel, what a gift you've given to us. And I, and I pray, Lord, that as we consider what prayer really means and what it is, that you would ignite in us a new passion for prayer. Renew us, Lord. And may we come into a new season of prayer as individuals, as families, and as a church body. That we would realign our priorities, that we'd place prayer back in the center of everything we do, in every place we go, in every part of our life. Please, Lord, let it be surrounded by and saturated in prayer. Father, I pray for anyone that's listening that has not found the satisfaction that you gave in Christ alone. They're placing their faith for eternal security in themselves, their works, or something, including Jesus, but in addition to other things. I pray that you'd help them to see with clarity that Jesus alone saves. And it's only by placing our faith, believing in Christ, that we are given the gift of eternal life, Lord. It's by faith, not by works. So, Lord, I pray for that one or or others that might not believe. Lord, that they would turn and put their faith and their trust in you tonight. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.